Welcome back to our new season, Green Bites by Sustainable Asia. I'm Shermaine Lee, and I'm Bonnie Out. Green Bites is a weekly show that delivers our hand-picked news roundup on green stories in Asia that you should know about. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Year of the Ox. We wish you a Happy Lunar New Year. May the Year of the Ox bring you good fortune, luck, and prosperity. While we're happily celebrating our New Year holiday, things were not so fortunate in Japan. Over the weekend, just one day before Valentine's Day, an earthquake struck eastern Japan. No deaths have been reported so far, but over 100 people have been injured. The epicenter of the 7.3 magnitude quake was just off the coast of Fukushima, near where one of the most severe earthquakes and tsunamis that hit Japan ten years ago. Yes, and that incident also led to the meltdown of three nuclear reactors at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, leading to one of history's largest nuclear disasters. In fact, Saturday's earthquake was believed to be an aftershock of that quake ten years ago. Aftershocks after a severe earthquake can continue on for many years. Unlike this incident in 2011, Japan's meteorological service said that this time a tsunami is unlikely, but landslides have been reported. The agency also warned of aftershocks as strong as magnitude six in the coming days. The heavy tremors have also left nearly a million households without power across the Fukushima region. Roads and train services had to be suspended or closed. About a week before the Lunar New Year, India saw a devastating incident as a part of a Himalayan glacier broke off. The avalanche triggered a flash flood in the northern state of Uttarakhand. For the whole week, the country has been scrambling to look for at least 160 people who were still missing. The disaster has destroyed two hydroelectric power plants, one at the Rishi Ganga River. And another one for the downstream on the Daliganga River. At least 41 people have been killed. While the cause of the flood is still under investigation, some scientists suggest that this can be a result of human-induced climate change, as it is not common to see avalanches in winter. A group of researchers looked at satellite images and aerial images of the devastated area and concluded that temperature changes, a result of climate change, Rapidly froze and melted a huge chunk of ice hanging in the glacier, which eventually broke off. In fact, back in 2019, villagers from the area had already raised concerns about the dam projects in the region. They feared that the construction would destabilize the mountain. They even brought the issue to court, alleging that building the dam could lead to environmental disasters. On paper, they had their success. In that same year. The Uttarakhand High Court ordered the Rishiganga power projects to refrain from blasting activities. The company behind the project was also demanded to remove all debris and construction waste. However, the villagers said the blasting continued, and the debris was never cleared. They believe that this eventually led to the disaster. The disaster brought back memories of another serious glacial flood that hit the same region in June 2013. 
The area's chief minister dubbed the incident a Himalayan tsunami, in which about 6,000 people were killed as big masses of water sent mud and rocks downstream, burying homes, sweeping away buildings, and damaging infrastructure such as streets and bridges. Moving away from India, we will be talking about the decline of deforestation rates in Southeast Asia, Hong Kong's carbon neutrality plan, and the plight of the city's cattle. A report under review by Nature Portfolio suggested that the deforestation rate in Indonesia, the world's largest palm oil producer, has shown a declining trend in recent years. In the report, it said that deforestation peaked in 2016 and fell below pre-2004 levels in the following three years. The report also found out that there's a positive relationship between palm oil price and deforestation rate, meaning the lower the price of palm oil, less forest land is lost. Researchers suggested that the current slowdown offers an opportunity for the Indonesian government to implement related regulations to manage sustainable palm oil. When palm oil price goes up again, these regulations will be key to protect the forests. In fact, the Indonesian government has already issued a range of bans that have reduced deforestation and pressure on peatlands. Likewise, in the Malaysian part of Borneo, the state governments of Sabak and Sulawesi have committed to keeping at least half of their total landmass under forest cover. However, global demand for palm oil is expected to jump up to sixfold, from 76 million metric tons now to 447 million in 2050. Rainforests are supposed to be hotspots for biodiversity, but the clearing of the forests and the removal of tree stumps to make way for palm oil plantations have been prevalent in Asia, driving animal species to extinction. Palm oil is used in our food products, cosmetics, soap, and detergents. Over half of the supermarket shelves contain products made from palm oil. Asia now accounts for more than 80% of the world's palm oil consumption. Critics have been saying that the exploitation of forests will also lead to community conflict and exacerbate carbon emissions. In Hong Kong, Financial Secretary Paul Chan recently announced that by mid 2021, the government will launch a long-term plan that aims to achieve carbon neutrality in the city by 2050. This follows the city's pledge made by Chief Executive Carrie Lam in mid-November last year. The move comes after Beijing's own announcement in late September that it seeks to become a carbon-neutral nation by 2060. Hong Kong's previous climate action plan, released in 2017, aims to cut down up to one-third carbon emissions by 2030, down from 2005 levels. In this new long-term plan, about 40 electric public light buses will be put into use in different districts, while some 40,000 diesel vehicles will be phased out gradually. The city's financial secretary added that 36,000 parking spaces in over 120 private estates so far have applied for the government's 2 billion Hong Kong dollar subsidy since December last year to upgrade their charging facilities for electric vehicles. The two billion Hong Kong dollar subsidy scheme is equivalent to about 258 million U.S. dollars. Following the boost of the city's recycling industry last year, the price of recycled paper has also boosted to one Hong Kong dollar per kilogram from 30 Hong Kong cents. The plan aims to also change people's lifestyle as well as to create new opportunities and jobs. Another ambitious goal is to achieve zero landfill within the next two decades. 
Last week, Secretary of the Environment Wong Kam Sing vowed that Hong Kong would stop sending rubbish to landfills by 2035 as part of their updated waste blueprint. Wong said their new target set out in the blueprint would see a drop of about 45% in waste disposal per capita. It would prove to be a challenge, as only one third of the city's rubbish was recycled last year, compared to over 50% in 2010. Wong also confirmed that they would start building the city's second waste incinerator in an unknown location, which is expected to be completed by 2030. The first incinerator is still under construction in a reclaimed area in Shekuwan, south of Lantau Island and between outlying islands Changchao and the Soko Islands. It will begin operation in 2025. A local NGO has doubted the plan to build a second incinerator, since the first one is still under construction. Green experts have no data to find out its effectiveness, so instead of a new incinerator. Stakeholders are hoping to see a more efficient waste management and recycling system. In fact, a proposed municipal waste charging scheme has already been put forward to the government. But it's been 20 years, and yet there's still no timeline for when the bill can go through the city's legislative council. Bonnie, speaking of the year of the ox, do you know that we also have indigenous cattle here in Hong Kong? Yes, I do. But tourism has been affecting their habitat. Taff Moon, nicknamed the Grass Island, is home to about 20 cattle and water buffaloes. It is currently facing an accelerating desertification, and how ironically, the Grass Island is now running out of grass to feed their cows and buffaloes. Volunteers said during the pandemic, as more and more Hong Kongers travel to these small, remote islands for hiking and camping, more trampling on the grassland means it's harder for grass to regrow. Sometimes these hungry animals would even eat the rubbish travelers left behind, such as plastic bags and leftover food. Volunteers are now cutting fresh grass in remote villages and shipping that to feed the cows in Tat Moon. So this is all we have for this week's Green Bites. Please share your thoughts with us on our social media platforms with the hashtag #ShareYourBite, and we hope you have a wonderful new year. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channels for more content, and share our podcast with your friends and family. To find out more about us, visit our website sustainableasia.co and follow us on Twitter at sustainableasia or Facebook sustainableasiaco. Thank you.